have you ever had like one of those weeks where everything that could have gone your way went your way? And then have you ever had one of those weeks that was the exact opposite of that? You know, like where everything that could have worked against you seemed to work against you. That's kind of, not to be too dramatic, but that's kind of been the last week for my family. It's like been one of those weeks where um, everything just kind of did not go the way that we wanted it to go. And so, uh, you know, for Mother's Day, I'd ask Sydney, I said, hey, what do you want for your Mother's Day gift? And in the most mom-like move ever, she took this one day that's supposed to be all about her and she found a way to make it all about her kids. She said, here's what I want for Mother's Day. I want you to build a tree house for our three boys. And so there's a picture of the tree house. Um, it's not totally finished yet, but we, um, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Truth be told, a friend helped me build it and uh, he, he did all this stuff that looks really good in it, but we're gonna have a zip line coming out of it and slide and all this stuff. It's just basically a, a 12 foot by 12 foot platform up in a tree about eight feet off the ground. So, you know, I was feeling really good. I mean, for good reason, as you could tell. I was feeling really good about delivering on this, this Mother's Day gift. It built this treehouse. And then two days later, the treehouse gives us a gift in return. Um, this picture, this, this is my youngest son, Judah. Literally, two days after we built the treehouse, he fell out of the treehouse. And I can't make this up. I think this happens because I preach and I need stories. Um, I'm, I'm literally in the backyard two days after this treehouse is done. My boys are climbing in the treehouse and the neighbor kids are over and this new guy um, that I've just started walking in a discipling relationship with, he and I are sitting in the backyard and we're talking and, and he's looking at our boys climbing all over this treehouse, he's acting crazy. And he says, Dave, as a father of three boys, how do you walk that line of letting them take risk without letting them get hurt too badly? <laughs> I kid you not, this is what we we're talking about. And as we were having that very conversation, my three-year-old son falls backwards off this treehouse, seven and a half feet, and we heard the bone break. It sounded like pencils snapping. And I said, we just crossed the line, Cody. That's what, <laughs> that's what happened. We just went over the edge. And it's like, oh, it's not the way we wanted to start the week, you know. Broken arm, and then... Two days later, I'm in a really major car crash. I don't have pictures of that, but by the grace of God, like I'm fine, obviously, and, and it wasn't worse. And then a few days later, uh, we have a family trip to the emergency room. We're there for five and a half hours wondering what's going on. And by the grace of God, everything is okay. But it was just like one of those weeks, you know, where everything you want to go one way goes the other way. Have you ever had that happen before? Have you ever had like one of those seasons where you had the plans and they were shattered? You had the dreams and they were unfulfilled? Yeah, you had the hopes and they were deferred? And honestly, all of the stuff that kind of happened to us this week in the grand scheme of life is like really kind of small stuff. But it, it just reminded me that life is like so filled with not just unexpected joys, but sometimes unexpected sorrow, and sometimes unexpected hardship, and sometimes unexpected loss. And this is one of the things that I love about First Peter is, is Peter is writing to a group of people that had not had a bad week, they had had a bad decade. They'd been in the middle of unbelievable political pressure, social pressure, physical pressure, spiritual pressure. On top of that, life happens as life happens and they're losing loved ones and they're going through some of the things that people in our church have experienced. And I love it because Peter writes them this letter and here's the way that he describes life. You'll see this as we go over the next few months. He talks about life like this. He says, sometimes life feels like you're living in the fire. 
And sometimes life feels like you're living in the fire. And I love this book because he says, listen, as followers of Jesus, we don't, we don't get a free pass around the fire. It's that we get someone who helps us thrive and endure when we find ourselves in it. And it's important that you understand that that's what the gospel proclaims. Not that you get around the fire of life, but that in the fire of life, you're not crushed by the fire, you're actually refined and you're made more beautiful. And in the end, you come out looking more and more like Jesus. And so I love it in these first uh, couple of verses that we're gonna look at this morning, Peter's gonna say, hey, here's the reason why followers of Jesus thrive in the fire of life. And I, I don't know if you take notes, but we're just gonna look at two things this morning. I want you to just at least impress these into your heart. He's gonna say the reason that followers of Jesus thrive in the fires of life is because they have this present hope. In other words, God is like doing something right here, right now. And they also have this future hope that God is going to do something one day. And the reason followers of Jesus thrive in the fires of life is because our lives are living in the intersection of those two hopes. The intersection of the hope right now and the intersection of a hope that's gonna come. It goes like this, 1 Peter chapter one. I'm gonna start in verse three. It'll also be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. This is Peter speaking. He says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I read the Bible. There's a lot of big words, a lot of big ideas, a lot of churchy sounding things. I'm like, okay, cool. What's that mean? But I love this because Peter is talking to like real people in the middle of some real fires of life and he's speaking to them really practically, but we have to slow down long enough to actually absorb what it is that he's saying. And he starts by talking about this, this present hope. Like, why is it that followers of Jesus can thrive in the fires of life? He says, it's because you have a hope right here, right now. Look back at verse three. He says, it's literally because of God's great mercy that he's given us new birth, new birth into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, he says, listen, one of the reasons that we as followers of Jesus survive and thrive in the fires of life, it's not just because one day God's gonna make it all better. It's because today, God is doing something more mysterious and wonderful and profound than you can ever imagine. And he uses this imagery of new birth. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bibles or underline your Bibles, but you should underline, circle, highlight that phrase new birth. Uh, in the English translation, that phrase new birth, it pops up all throughout the New Testament. But in the original language, the, the, the words that are translated here, new birth, they only show up two times in the entire New Testament, and it's right here in 1 Peter chapter one. And the, the image here is not just the idea of a baby being born. So it's, don't picture that. It's kind of disgusting and traumatic, okay? Um, it, that, that's not the picture here. The, the, the picture here is literally of new conception. And I don't know that you need to picture that either, okay? But, but, but that's the imagery. That's the imagery here. 
And I, I want you to hold on to this hope. He says, here's the reality. He says, the reason that followers of Jesus thrive in the fires of life, the reason you thrive is because by the mercy of God, God is reconceiving you. That God is reconceiving, he is, he is reforming, he is remaking you, and the way that he is reconceiving you is he, is he has put the life of his son Jesus in the bedrock of your soul, and just like a baby grows in the womb of a mother, listen to this, this is the claim, this is the provocative claim, just like a baby grows in the womb of a mother, he's saying, the character of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the toughness of Jesus is starting to grow in you, even in the midst of these hard things. He says it's not just that you've been born again, it's that you're in the process of being born again. Does that make sense? That right here and right now, it's not just that you have a new life, it's that this new life is beginning to slowly but surely take you over. And that everything that makes Jesus, Jesus is beginning to infiltrate and to change you in ways that are hard to get your mind around. And this is incredible hope for people, especially who find themselves in the process. He says, it's not just that you've been born again, it's that you're in the process of being born again and conception, conception to birth is a long, slow process. You know, there's two things that I try to teach my sons, and maybe more than that, but there's two things that I want them to hold on to as men in this world. Number one is that Jesus is Lord, and he is worth all of your affection. And secondly, and also very important, never ask a woman in public if she's pregnant <laughs> unless you really know. Because that journey from conception to birth is a slow journey. And there's a season where you're not exactly sure if she's pregnant or not. Like I remember when Sydney got uh, pregnant with each of our kids and she'd say, hey, can you tell yet? And I never knew the right answer to that question. <laughs> if I couldn't tell, she was upset because she wasn't showing yet. And if I was too quick to say, oh, I can tell, that wasn't good either. <laughs> I never knew it. So I'd tell my boys, I'm like, hey, listen, unless you see a woman in the grocery store in physical labor, don't ask her when the babies do. <laughs> because the journey from conception to birth is slow and confusing at times. And Peter says, it's the same of Christ in you. That when you surrender your life to Jesus, God does this great mysterious work where just like God did with Mary, you know, Mary carried around the physical Lord in her womb. The imagery that Peter's giving here is he says that you're carrying around the spiritual characteristics of your Lord in your heart. And that over time, through all sorts of hardship and trial and suffering, you begin to receive his mind and his heart and his disposition and his love and his tenderness and his compassion and his passion and all of the things that make Jesus, Jesus begin to grow in you. And there'll become a point in your life where no matter how much you try to conceal that this new life of God is growing in you, there'll become a point where everyone around you will see it. He says, this is, this is why you thrive in the fire. Listen to this. It's not just because God is with you. And that's true. But, but the implications of the gospel are so much more profound than the statement that God is with you. The gospel declares that God is in you. And Peter says, the same Jesus that faced the fire of the cross 
Do you remember how Jesus handled the cross? He's like dying for the sins of humanity. And what is he doing? He's praying for those that have wounded him. He's praying for those that are killing him. He's caring for his mother. I mean, he's thinking about everyone else. And this is the claim that Peter's making. He says, that same Jesus who handled his cross that way has been born again inside of you, is being conceived inside of you. And the reason you can face the unexpected fires of life, it's not just because God is with you, it's because God is inside of you. And some of you are going, man, he's not showing yet. And I know it's weird imagery, but Peter uses this imagery. He says, but the life is growing. And one of the reasons we thrive in seasons of hardship and struggle is because we begin to recognize this reality that we have this present living hope that the resurrected Lord Jesus is being reconceived, is being born again in the hearts of those that follow Jesus. What an incredible promise that is. But he says it's not just this present hope, not just right now. He says there's also this future hope. Look, back, look down at verse four with me. I love this. He says, uh, you have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And so Peter says, part of the reason that we as followers of Jesus thrive in the fires of life is because God is doing something in us right now, this new birth, this, this new conception. He says, but it's also because he has something in store for us in the future. He has this future inheritance that's kept safe in heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, I love this because Peter's gonna say, hey, listen to this church. Because of what is in your future, you should live radically different right now in the present. He says, there is something that awaits you in the future that should change the way that you live right here and right now. I have a, a friend who is a trust fund baby. Like he was, he was born, his grandparents were rich. His parents were rich. He was born rich. He did nothing to deserve it. You know, he knew that when he turned 18, he was gonna start cashing it in. And uh, he knows now, like uh, even beyond that, there's gonna be this moment where one day his parents will pass away and he's gonna have more land and houses and money and stocks and he, he knows what to do with. And so he and I are staying like this, if you know what I mean. Like we're keeping, <laughs> keeping it on lockdown, like with that friend. And his, his whole life, his whole life has been radically different than mine because he's got a different future. He's got a different future. There, there's some risk that he's taken that a guy like me couldn't afford to take because we have a different future. <laughs> there's some things that he's tried that I haven't tried because we have a different future. There is some peace that he has had that I don't have because we have a different future. I remember in the stock market crash of 2008 asking him, I'm like, are you terrified? He's like, listen, the inheritance is so big that crash couldn't touch it. And I'm like, dang, <laughs> like, wow, like, can we be friends forever? I mean, like, that kind of rich, you know? And this is what Peter's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, you realize what you have in Jesus, this thing that's in store for you in the future. It's not just that God is doing something in, in you in the present. It's what you have in store in the future that helps you thrive through the fires as well. I think the reality is, I think a lot of us are just so busy in the present and so bogged down in the present, we don't spend nearly enough time thinking about the promise of the future. And just how beautiful and how big. We could spend the whole summer just talking about what this inheritance is. But I'll just give you a few clues that you can dig into in the scriptures on your own if you wanna search it out. Do you realize that this inheritance that Peter's talking about is a physical inheritance? 
that when Jesus returns again one day, we're told that we get new bodies. That the kingdom of heaven, your future inheritance, isn't just your soul being resurrected and floating around in the clouds singing songs forever. That doesn't sound very fun. That's the picture of heaven that most of us have. But that you're gonna get a new body that will never perish, spoil, fade, or ache. Some of you are like in the prime of your physical peak right now and you're like, who needs a new body? (laughs) Give it 10 years, I'm telling you. In 10 years, you'll start understanding how beautiful this is. Like, like he says, you're gonna get a new body that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And it's not just a new body, you're gonna get a new body and you're gonna live in a recreated new earth, new heaven, new earth. I mean, just think about this. I remember a few years ago, my in-laws, they took us on a vacation to Hawaii, one of the best vacations we've ever been on. I remember I'm sitting on the beach in maybe the most beautiful place on earth that I've ever been, and I see these two local guys walking by, and instantly I got angry in my heart. I'm like, God, why do they live there and I live in Creve Hall? Like, what's the deal? Like, how did this work out? And, you know, I'm just feeling jealous that they live in paradise. And, and I'm sitting there, and I, I kid you not, I just remember the Spirit of the Lord, he just kind of whispered in my heart. He said, Dave... You have no idea. You think this place is pretty now? Wait until I recreate it. Wait until you experience the earth with no sin, no pain, no hardship, no pollution, no corruption. Wait till you experience what I recreate. It's a physical inheritance, the physical, new body, new heaven, new earth. It's not just a physical, it's a relational inheritance. Just think about this. I mean, every person that you've ever said goodbye to who has surrendered their life to Jesus, you'll get to see again in Christ. Like, I'm like, man, I can't wait to hang out with my grandfather and my grandmother again. I can't wait to make up for lost time. I can't can't wait to see that friend from high school whose life ended way too early. Like, I can't wait. It's not just a, a physical inheritance. It's a relational inheritance where you get reconnected with Followers of Jesus that have since passed on. But it's not just the people that you know, it's, it's that you will be able to connect with people that you've never known. Like I was talking about this with my, my son Jack this week. We're out playing basketball in the driveway. He says, Dad, how cool will it be to ask Peter what it was like when he walked on water? And I'm like, that's gonna be pretty awesome. We'll probably be drinking just an incredible cup of coffee, best cup of coffee you've ever had. Sitting there just talking, like, what was that like? And to think that your inheritance is not just a a physical inheritance, it's a relational inheritance. But it's also, it's an experiential inheritance. I think sometimes when we picture the future kingdom of heaven, we we, we picture like a college reunion where everybody's sitting around reflecting on stories from the dorm. Like we're all together and we're reflecting on stories on the past. And then maybe in heaven we'll talk about some of the things of the past. I think we're going to spend far more time making new memories Because every time the kingdom of heaven is described, it's described with the word new. New songs, new joy, new laughter, new memories, new moments. Do you realize that heaven is interested in moving forward, not just recounting what's already happened? Peter says, this is yours. This is yours. There's this physical inheritance. There's this relational inheritance. There's this experiential inheritance. Last but not least, there is this spiritual inheritance. It's what Revelation 21 and 22 describes, where it says that you're sitting face to face with God. And every tear, I mean, he is the centerpiece of your inheritance. He is the portion that your soul longs for. 
And this picture of the inheritance is that you experience the fullness of life in the presence of the very one that dreamt it all up. And Peter says, here's the reason that Christians thrive in the fire of life. We thrive in the fire of life, not because we're so tough and not because we're so smart and not because we have such a good plan. He says, no, you thrive in the fire of life because your life is living in the intersection of present and future hope. The present hope that God is not done with you, that his son Jesus is still growing inside of you. And the future hope that you weren't just born again, but that you were born into a new family and with that new family came a new inheritance that will never perish, that will never spoil, that will never fade. Like, listen, we can't even get our minds around that because we live in a world where everything perishes, everything spoils, and everything fades. We live in a world where you buy a brand new car and the moment you drive it off the lot, what happens? it begins to decrease in value. We live in a world where the the moment you're born, you're already moving towards your end. We, We live in a world where every good moment, every good song, every good kiss, every good dance, every good meal, every good sunset is already working its way to its conclusion. But in the kingdom of heaven, there are no endings. How incredible is that? Like, I, I think about that, and my head is just like, just like some weird drug trip. I mean, it's just crazy, like, crazy thought. Like, what is this? What is this? He says, this is the inheritance. And your life is in the middle, Christians, your life is in the middle of that present hope and that future hope, and together we thrive in the fire. Like, I don't know about you, I don't know where you are in life, but I go, don't you want to thrive in the fire of life? Like, don't, don't you want to be the kind of person, you know, we've all seen people that go through hardship and they come out of the hardship and they're more bitter and they're more cynical and they're more angry and they're more jaded than they were before. And then we've also been around people, right, that go through hard things and for some reason they come out on the other side and they are more beautiful and refined and wonderful than they were on the, the front end of that. And I go, none of us want the fires, but Jesus says, here's the deal, the fires of life come. In this world you have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That's what Jesus says in John 16. And Peter's saying, hey, here's how you thrive in the middle of the fire. And we, we can tell so many stories about this and what it looks like. Because yeah, that's really just the story of the church. You know, the story of the church has been, we've been a people for thousands of years that in the fires of life have thrived. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is within us. And because of what it is that Christ has in store for us in the in the age to come. But I think about some of the stories in our own church, um, and I got their permission to share these. I think about Wanda Lynn. I don't know, I don't know if you know Wanda. Um, if, here's the most simple way I know how to describe Wanda. Wanda is one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met in my whole life. She is a gift of God. Kind, gracious, compassionate, generous, filled with heart, filled with life. Like every time I'm around Wanda, I just want to shut my mouth and listen because the life of God just flows out of her. Have you ever like gone to somebody's house and they're cooking a really good meal and you like walk into the house and you just smell the meal? You don't even know what it is, but you're just hungry. Have you ever, just come on, have you ever been there? Just say yes or something. Have you ever had like one of those meals? Like you're like, whoa, I wasn't even hungry, but I smell what's being cooked. I want to eat. Anytime I'm around Wanda, just the fragrance of God's beauty comes. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. I just, 
whatever you have, I want. Whoever you have, I want. Like, I, I want to be around you. And those of you that know Wanda, you can attest to this. You know, a lot of you, you've only known her for the few years that she's been a part of our church family. You, you may not know part of her story. But you know, more than 20 years ago, when she was a young woman, her husband died suddenly. And it was like one of the fires of life. And like every time I talk with her and I listen to her story, I'm just touched by just the depth of love that she and Trent had for one another. Just beautiful picture of life and love. And I go, it's like one of those fires that could have crushed her, could have destroyed her, could have made her bitter, and no one would have blamed her for it. It could have made her children bitter. No one would have blamed, it for, blamed them for it. But when you're around Wanda, when you're around Joe, when you're around their family, man, it is just the fragrance of God because somehow they found themselves in the middle of this intersection of this present hope, Christ being formed in them, and this future hope, that the time that has been lost with her father and her husband won't be wasted because there'll be a new day of new memory, of new hope, of new joy, of new promise because that's what the kingdom of heaven is about. And as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves in the tension of that intersection. And I look and I go, what does 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 looks like? It looks like Wanda Lynn. It looks like Joe Lynn. It looks like our friend Stan Feener. Some of you know Stan and Phyllis. Man, for years, they literally sat right here in the front row until she was diagnosed with early onset, early onset dementia. And it's just, it's robbed her. It's robbed her of life and vitality and so many things, like right here and right now. A couple of weeks ago, I was out at their house. I was hanging out with them, and I was with Stan. And when you're with Stan, it's just like the great mystery of the gospel is on display in his life. I'm watching the way he's loving his wife, the way he's living out his marital vows, the way that he's serving and caring for her. In fact, I told him when I was with him that day, I said, hey man, from now on, I wanna send every young guy I know out to your house before they get married. You'll just spend one day with Stan Feener. You'll learn what marriage is all about. And when I listen to him speak, there is this, there is this mixture of both reality of what his wife is dealing with and the reality of what God is up to in the middle of it that so exceeds my ability to grasp it as a finite human being. But the only way I know how to describe it is the hope that I see in him is both the present hope of 1 Peter 1, 3-5 and the future hope of 1 Peter 1, 3-5 because he knows there's a moment where Phyllis's memory is not just gonna be restored, but it will be restored in such a way that she can make new memories. There'll be a moment where they'll dance again and laugh again and sing again and act again and create again. And, and I go, this is, this is the hope of glory of Christ being revealed in us. And I go, I don't know about you, but I go, when I grow up, I want to be like Wanda Lynn. And I want to be like Stan Feener. And I want to be like so many of you who in this moment, I could have told so many stories, who in this moment find yourself in the fire of life and yet what all of us are seeing around you is the glory of God coming to the surface. And Peter says, for followers of Jesus, this is yours for the taking. That in the fire, in the trouble, you can become unshakable, immovable. I go, wow, how, how amazing is that? I go, so how do you get it? You know, as, as followers of Jesus, I'll start with you and then I'll end by speaking to those of you that are not Christians for just a couple of moments. 
For followers of Jesus, uh, I, I love this. It's at the beginning of verse three. He says, here's our response. He says, we praise God. How do you, how do you lean into this present hope and this future hope? He says, you, you praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, you praise God, and he's not just saying that you sing. He's saying that you literally posture the entirety of your life, your thoughts, your affections, your time, your energy, your joys, your sorrows. You posture everything towards Jesus. That's what praise means. He says, you come after God with all that you are. My friend Sam this week, he made a profound statement. We weren't even talking about this, but he said, he said in life, you never know if you're prepared for the test until you actually see the answers on the test. Like you never know if you're prepared for whether or not you studied well enough until you see the questions that have been presented to you. And the truth is, when it, when it comes to the more significant things of life, you never know if you're ready for the fires of life until the fire comes. And Peter says the way you prepare for that is he says, he says you begin walking in the praise of God. You begin walking in the praises of God, like right here and right now, so that when the fire comes, this present hope and this future hope hold hands together, and they don't just get you through it, but they make you more beautiful in the middle of all of it. This is the reason we, we come together and we worship the way that we worship. It's the reason we open the scriptures. It's the reason I challenge you every week to try to get into biblical community with people. It's the reason I challenge you to keep growing, to keep confessing, to keep repenting, to keep singing, to keep doing these things because these things anchor our hearts in the reality of what God's doing in us right now and what God has ahead for us in the future. And if you wanna shut down what God is doing in you, just neglect the joy of praise. Think about when my wife was pregnant with each of our boys. When she found out she was pregnant, she changed the way that she would eat and she changed the way that she'd do things because all of a sudden she realized that she was actually nourishing another life inside of her. It wasn't just her life anymore, but it was another life. And I love this image because Peter's going, hey, Christians, do you realize that you have the joy and the responsibility of nourishing the life of Jesus within your heart? And my question for you is, is Christ within you receiving all of the spiritual food that he needs? Is he feasting upon the word and upon worship and upon confession and upon community and upon all the things that bring Christ to bear in you? So as followers of Jesus, I go, how do we keep living into these things in the middle of the fires of life? It's through praise. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus. Some of you are going, I don't know if I have what it takes to thrive in the fire. I don't know if I have the, the inheritance. Here's the word that I want to give you. It's the word that you also see in verse 3. It's the word mercy. Mercy. Look back at verse 3 with me. It says, it was God in his great mercy. Like, like, why does Christ want to dwell in us? Why does Christ want to grow in us? Why do we have this inheritance? It's not because of the family you grew up in. It's not because of how smart you are. It's not because of how good you are. It's because of the mercy of God. That God is kind, that he is compassionate, that he is gracious, that your sin is great, but God's mercy is greater. And some of you go, maybe you're sitting here and you go, I have no idea how to begin stepping into any of this. I just, I wanna give you one simple prayer to begin praying this week, to begin praying this morning. And it's just a simple prayer. And you, you can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it with somebody. But here's the prayer. Christ Jesus, 
have mercy on me, a sinner. Christ Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's amazing what happens when we start recognizing that we need mercy. And when we start recognizing that God wants to lavish mercy in ways that we can never begin. I mean, I'm telling you, when we start walking in the mercy of God, all of a sudden the life of God begins growing in us and he is going to reveal to you what it looks like to place your belief in him. He's gonna reveal what it looks like to confess your sins and to be baptized, be filled with the spirit, to walk in all those things. But it all begins with this understanding that in the fires of life, you need mercy and that God is a God of unquenchable mercy. (laughs) And if you don't know anything else about God this morning, I want you to hear that. That his mercy, his compassion is far more reaching and all you have to do is reach out and ask for it. Father, I love you. I thank you for, I thank you for just the reality of who you are and of what you're doing in our midst. God, I thank you for this profound mystery of new conception, of new birth, of Christ being formed in us. I thank you for the the promise of future inheritance and that, God, somehow our lives are wrapped up in the middle of that. God, for those in the room that find themselves in the middle of the fire this morning, God, would you meet them there in profound ways? Would you meet them there in real ways? Would you help them to know you in real ways And Jesus, we will trust that everything you have said will be true in these moments. God, for those that are not in the fire yet, would you keep us from fearing the fire? But Lord, just help us to prepare for it. Help us to cling to your mercy. Help us to walk in your praise, God. Help us to to remember, to remember who we are in you. And God, would you help us as those days come, not to be shaken, but to stand firm and with the aroma of Jesus, come to bear in us. God, I thank you for all of the women and all of the men in our church family that are showing us 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 on display. God, may we be the types of men and women that can see it fully. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.